0: So Hey, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray. Invite you to pray with me, and then we're gonna we're gonna start into a new teaching series and open up Scripture uh, together. We're gonna start off in John chapter 14. If you've got a Bible or have a screen that has a Bible on it, you can start finding your way there. Um, but let's let's pray together and uh, ask God to lead us as we open His Word together. God, we we pause and we take a deep breath, and we just want to acknowledge that that you're here. That you're present in this room, in this time. You're present actually with each one of us. You're near. Um, And God, that you are a good and gracious and loving Father. Uh, That you know us and you see us. That you, by your hand and your will, have crafted and and shaped each and every one of us. And so would we sense your, your love and your joy in us this morning. And Holy Spirit, As we start this new year, we want to ask again that you would be working and moving right here, right now in this time. uh, That you would not be still, but that you would be active. That you would have your way in each and every one of us. Some of us eagerly anticipate that. Others of us are not sure what that looks like or feels like. And so uh, we ask that you would, would surprise us and move right here, right now. And Jesus... As Kendra was sharing earlier and as we all were invited to saying, we, we exalt you. Simply by being here, We've we've taken other things and moved them down the priority list and we've made time to be in your presence and with your people. And so would you help us to exalt you further? Would we be able to see a picture of you and the life that you live and would we be drawn to it and would we be formed by it? Jesus, you have laid down your life for us and called us to follow you and know you and and we want to do that even in today and so as we open up your word would you would you speak to us and would we hear your voice it's in your name that we pray amen Um, I'd like to to tell you uh, uh, the first time I punched somebody and the first time I used the F word Um, these two shiny examples from my life uh, both took place before high school and f- to the best of my knowledge this is the only time I've ever punched somebody. It's the only time I've ever punched somebody uh, n- not in a game, uh, on a field, or on a court. Just the only time um, and it's the only time that I've ever punched somebody. So. Um, <laughs> But before I tell you those two experiences, those two things that I did, um, I, uh, I want us to, uh, look at this, at this sentence up here that's not completed, um, that that we are a people who, uh, we are a people who, and then there's a blank there. And, uh, you can't read that without starting to fill it in. Uh, Maybe you have an idea of what goes in there. Maybe you're starting to think of one now, um, there uh, is just in, just in being awake and alive, our brains are actually always filling in that blank. All the time. It's just, it, it's happening all the time. We've got, we've got images and pictures and words and, and experiences and memories and relationships and, and, and things are filling that blank all the time that, that, that I am a person This it's, we're answering the question of who am I? And we're also answering this question of how do, this might sound like a weird question, how do my people act? my people, the people that I'm a part of, how do we act? Who, who am I? It's an identity question, and it's a behavior question. Is How do I act? How do my people act? Um, over the last, I think it's been about a year and a half, um, a number of us who, who have the privilege of teaching have, have dropped things about brain science uh, here. Uh, and maybe that's fascinating to you, or maybe you're like, that's really weird, stop talking about it. I, I want to talk about it again. And, and here's why. Um, the advances in brain science, and I've read probably half a dozen books over the last couple of years that have talked about brain science in relation to faith and following Jesus. But the advances in brain science over the last decade have been exponential. And here's the fast, one of the fascinating things, not the only fascinating thing, but one of the fascinating things, and one of the reasons we talk about it here at Mosaic, or have been over the last year and a half, is because it keeps confirming things that we find in scripture. So brain science by scientists and experts who, who don't believe in Jesus or follow Jesus necessarily, are discovering things about how the human brain works, how we work as human beings, that keep confirming things in scripture. So, uh, for example, as we read about how in the Old Testament, God formed a people in order to make himself better known in this world and throughout history, and certainly through this book, it confirms how we enter into relationships and how our brain forms relationships, or a psychological term, healthy attachments with other people. And as we read the story of God and it reveals who he is through his people, it, it actually resonates with what we're learning about brain science and relationships and how we're formed. When we get into the New Testament and we read about Jesus and his teachings, the way that he led his disciples confirms that he's shaping them in the way that the human brain shapes individuals. It echoes it. It repeats it. it, it we're seeing in science things that that are confirmed and affirmed and and modeled by Jesus in the New Testament. So that's why we keep talking about it. So as we seek to become individuals and a church community, a people who look more and more like Jesus, brain science is actually really helpful. And so that's why we keep dropping it in here a little bit. So here's one thing. We've learned in brain science over the last, I say we as if I was a part of it, I've read that some people learned about brain science that that the right side of our brain over here which is the part, if you're, if you're not familiar or, or forgotten, it's kind of the relational side, the side that builds intimacy, that seeks vulnerability, um, that's kind of intuitive, it's the, it's the right side of our brain. Um, and again, just if you're, if you're wondering, the other side of our brain that's more analytical, uh, or maybe one, another way to say that might be intellectual or organized or something like that. And we kind of stereotype people in one of those two kind of big buckets. The brain's actually meant to integrate and, and both for what it's worth. You can write that down and think about it later. But the right side, vulnerability, intimacy, intuition, those relational side of our brain. Every second, there's there's like a rotation that spins six times every second that is actually asking what goes in this blank. Okay, think about that for a minute. Brain scientists have found that every second, six times our brains are looking for an image or a person or a story or a symbol that says, this is who I am, and this is how I act. Okay? Now, if our brains are functioning that way, wouldn't it be helpful to have an answer that fits into that? We're grasping for it. We're looking for it. So each and every one of us, where we're born, our family system we grow up in, and all our experiences begin to fill in that blank. When we put Jesus into our experience, he is kind and clear in providing an answer for what goes in this blank. All of us are answering this all the time. In fact, if I was talking, you've already answered it like a thousand times. What kind of person am I? How do I act? Jesus provides a picture. Jesus provides a vision for what goes in that. And he does it over and over and over throughout scripture. And so we're gonna take a look at one today and then we're gonna go over the next number of weeks begin to fill this blank with what kind of people are we? And what it does for us is it begins to give us a vision for where we're headed and what kind of people we're called to be. So let's do this. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I want to read two verses to you and for some of you, they might be familiar. Um, they're really important and they come and then we're going to look at the context of where this shows up. John chapter 14, verse 23 says this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus is replying to somebody. He's in in the midst of a conversation. He's replying to somebody and he's saying, hey, those who love me, will obey my teaching. Again, that might, that might be familiar, that might make perfect sense if you're hearing it for the first time. If you love me, you'll obey my teaching, Jesus says. Um, and he says, th- then he says, um, my Father will come and be in relationship with them. And then he says, we, we will be in relationship with them if, if you love me and you're obeying my teaching. And then he, he says it in the negative. If you do not love me, then you're not gonna obey my teaching. Well, that, that makes sense, that's obvious. Where Jesus is doing this in this conversation is in this really critical moment that we have recorded in the book of John. And it's a, it's a long dinner conversation. And Jesus is with his disciples. He's pulled them for what we know as the last supper. Now they they're doing this symbolic meal that somebody would have guided and taught through the Passover. And Jesus is leading his disciples, his closest friends through this. Several critical things have already happened when he says this. Um, he, they, they started when they started and they came in, Jesus washed their feet. Now, for most of us, unless we're in some kind of a medical situation, or we've been really limited and have some kind of physical restraint on us, it, like nobody's ever washed our feet. Like, that's very, very rare. Um, Jesus, in that context, would have been playing the role of a servant. And his disciples came in, and where a servant would have usually been in the doorway and the entranceway way in some way, and they would have taken off their sandals and the servant would have washed their feet. The, the Disciples, people at that time wouldn't have even thought that much about it. They would have just Watch, let them wash their feet, and, and God, Jesus plays the role of a servant, puts a towel around his waist, gets a water basin, kneels down, and washes his disciples' feet. You know, and you know, Peter's like, hey, you're not going to wash my feet. And then if you're not familiar with that scene, Jesus says, no, I, if, you, if, you're gonna, if we're going to be part of this together, you've got to let me do this. And Jesus says, okay, I my whole body. And Jesus is like, dude, just calm down. Jesus plays the role of a servant. And then he says, in chapter 13 of John, he says, follow my example. You've seen me and felt me do this for you now. Now do it for one another. You've seen my example. Now do this for one another. And then uh, he goes on and he, he, he says this, uh, he predicts his betrayal. Um, and, and Peter makes his statement of like, I'm never gonna, um, uh, I'll, I'll go, you know, whatever. If, you, you're, if you're gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna go with you. You won't, you won't suffer. Like, I'll, I'll stand up for you. And he goes, you know, says, you know, you're gonna deny me three times before the um, before night's out and, you know, Peter's shocked. Jesus also says something. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. Therefore all people will know you are mine by the way that you love one another. Like Jesus has done and said some really significant things in this evening, in this meal. And then he comes to this place and he says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And what Jesus is doing and what he's been doing all the way up until this, for three years with these people in this deep relationships where they spent time and traveled together and he's taught them and they've, they've argued and they've had hard patches and then they've repaired and then they've seen miracles happen. And he has, he's poured his life into them for three years. And the thing he has taught about the most, here in this meal, he's beginning to put flesh on and clear, clarity for them. He's beginning to answer what goes in this blank for them in this meal in the most explicit and clear ways. What Jesus is doing is he's painting a picture of what it looks like to lead a kingdom life in a broken world. Jesus is saying, this is what it's like to be a a different kind of people, that you live like me, you follow my example, which is gonna be different than the people around you. But I'm here to bring and install and inaugurate the kingdom. He keeps talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And what he's doing is he's saying there's a different kind of world that's breaking into this one, into our world that we know has so many issues and problems. Jesus says, I'm coming to bring a new way of life. And that way of life is only through me. And so you need my example and you need a relationship with me in order to live a kingdom kind of life to be part of bringing a different kind of world into this current world. And so Jesus is laying out all these examples of this is what it means. And the reason he's going to do it is because he's going to go to the cross and his time with them is going to be done in, in flesh, in person. The other thing he does in this conversation is saying, he says, we're staying with you, meaning the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And the way that we're staying with you is the Spirit is going to be given to you. He says that in this conversation as well. This is a kingdom kind of life that he's painting for them. We are a people who is answered by all the descriptions of what Jesus says, this is what the kingdom is like. And so he gives clarity over and over and over and answers to that question that our brains are asking, that we can fill in with a lot of different things. But Jesus says, this is what I want you to fill it in with. I want you to love me and I want you to obey my teaching. We, uh, we phrase it this way as we talk about our church. One of the statements of vision we have is, is this. It says, um, in a city like this, and some of the that, descriptions that we know of our city is that people are self-reliant. People like to make it on their own. If you study the history of Portland, part of how this city actually became to be a city in and of itself is, is people saying, I'm going to go out to the wild edges where there's no civilization and I'm going to live my own kind of life. And, you know, it started with uh, uh, trapping and then port and, and trading and all those kind of things of, of people rugged on their own. That, that, that still permeates our culture and life today. Self-reliant. Uh, loneliness. We always top um, uh, the, the, the statistics of lonely cities in, in the U.S. We're a lonely city. Uh, and then we're cynical. All of these great against relationships But we say this, we know that that's true of our city. And we, as a church, are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. Not we want to live distinctly different lives to impress Jesus or so that God would be pleased with us. But because we've encountered Jesus, because we've been compelled by his love for us, we actually want to live the kind of lives that Jesus has emulated and and modeled for us. That we want to actually obey his teaching because we've been in relationship with him. So here's two important things. As Jesus answers this question that our brain is constantly asking of who am I and how do my people act, as Jesus is providing answers for that, it starts with relationships. It starts first with a relationship with him and then those that he puts around us for our good. It starts with relationship and it requires us to change. It requires our character to evolve and to develop and to deepen, that we become different kind of people, that we don't stay where we are, but our character changes. So, this is why I wanna tell you about the first time I punched somebody, and the only time I punched somebody, and the first time I said the F word. Um, I think I was about in third grade, uh, and I, uh, it was the end of the, the, school, end of the school year. Uh, we were having a party at the park, and so our class uh, left the school building, walked uh, through the playground, out down the street to the park at the end of the street, and we had a party with the other classes. And our class, there was about six or eight of us guys in our class uh, that we just always played on recess together and had a great time, and we really liked each other, and it was a really good class. And we decided at the park, end of the year party, we were going to play kind of a, a WrestleMania King of the Mountain kind of a thing. And so six or eight of us third graders were wrestling, and we we're trying to get you know on top of the pile, uh, and you know. That was going on and we were having a great time and laughing and sweating and it was just exactly what I'm I'm sure the teacher had envisioned. And I pop up and I'm kind of close to the top and maybe I'm I'm at the top of the mountain as we're all flailing around. And then all of a sudden Robbie pops up on the other side of our mountain, our pile of guys. And he pops up right there and we're both smiling at each other, (laughs) cock. Our fun ended, Robbie fell down crying and I just froze and went, what, what just happened? I've never done, I've literally never done that before. And I've never done it since. I just, I just hit him. I just punched him in the side of the head and he fell over. And the teacher came over and said, what happened? And I said, I just punched Robbie in the head. Why'd you do that? I don't know. I just did it. And she said, well, you're in trouble. I know, I don't know why I did that, but I just punched him. And here's the thing, I, I genuinely, I, I like Robbie. Like, Robbie lived two streets down from me. I like, Robbie Robbie a, had a single mom, and his mom tried to compensate for his dad and bought him every single G.I. Joe figure that existed. I loved Robbie, I wanted to be Robbie's friend still. I loved playing with all of his G.I. Joe guys, and I just punched him in the head. Seventh grade, summer. End of my block was a, uh, an open lot that was fenced in for the water tower. And uh, Scott and Tony were my best friends on my block, and we would play together every day during the summer, and we would climb the fence, and we would get into the, the lot, and we would get up on the pile of rocks, and uh, we would throw rocks at the water tower. And we're standing on this pile of rocks, throwing rocks at the water tower, and Tony turns and throws a rock at me. And I turn and instinctually just throw a rock back at him, And I say that word. Tony and Scott looked at me. They were not offended. um, They were not insulted. They were not scared. They were proud of me. They looked at me like, wow, it's about time. Tim is the kid who doesn't cuss. He's never cussed. We cuss all the time. We've trained him on how to cuss. We've educated, we've shared with him. We've modeled for him. We've been artful in how we've done it. He's never cussed. All it took was throwing a rock at his shin. Like that was the easiest. The word was out of my mouth. And it was like, I was watching a movie going, that is fascinating. Look at that go. Like, how is that happening? I, I literally didn't know I had the capacity to say that word. Both of those things that happened in those moments at that age, I, I didn't think about. They happened before I could think about them. They were what we might call instinctual or automatic, which is really interesting to say because I'd never done either one before. But they, I didn't think about it, I didn't make a decision to do it. It just happened. I punched Robbie and when I was standing there thinking, why did I just do that? The only thing I had playing through my head was a bunch of Western movies and Bonanza reruns that I had watched with my dad and all of the bar fights that had happened and just saying like, those guys are awesome. Look at them, they beat up everybody else. That was what was rolling through my brain. I still to this day don't know why I said that word to Tony they happened because they were part of my experience. They happened because they had become part of my relationships in a weird way. They had happened because they were were rolling around in my brain and they'd become not on the the left side of my brain where I can think through and make a decision. They'd become part of the the right side of my brain where actually were casting a vision for me for the kind of person I would be, whether I wanted it or not. It had just gotten absorbed in there. This is how our brains work. This is why it is vitally important for who we spend time with, who we allow to influence us, and what our examples are and our models are in front of us. These things get absorbed into us. So when Jesus says, those who love me keep my commandments, he's just merely making the prediction of what naturally happens when we spend time with him when we care about him, when we pursue him, when we listen to him, when we imagine, we read stories about him and we imagine in our minds, what does that look like? When we watch depictions of him, when we see Jesus in the lives of others in front of us and we go, oh, that's what it looks like. That's who I'm to be. I had been watching Westerns and wanting to emulate men that I perceived as strong and mighty in some way And powerful and I had been really struggling with how cool Tony and Scott seemed because they could cuss with such eloquence and those had seeped into me and so what Jesus is saying is your character is formed by those that you are around and that you allow cast vision for you whether you even realize it or not look at this definition of character It's from the other half of church, which is a book we've quoted over the last year. Our embedded automatic responses to our relational environment, our instantaneous behavior that flows naturally from our heart. Do you see how that was me punching Robbie and me cussing at Tony? It had just become automatic. I didn't think about it, it was just there. That's the part of us that God actually wants to get a hold of and to mold like a potter molds clay, and to change us, and to form us into his kind of people, so that we can say, we are a people who, and then begin to fill in blanks. Here's the one I want to fill in for us today, and I want to read another passage that might be very familiar to us, and um, it's, uh, it's from Mark chapter 12. We know it as the greatest commandment. One of the Teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commands, which is the most important? verse 29, the most important one answered Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus is simply echoing what so many of them would have known already. That they would have known, and you know, it's kind of interesting uh, timing. I didn't, didn't plan this. It just worked out this way. There's, I think there's about, at least on the Bible app that, that we're reading through as a, as a church, there's about 75 of us that are on there, I think, and maybe you're reading and you're not on. It would be great if you could log on. You could see comments and, 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 and who says... and. is is thinking different things and how they're experiencing scripture together. But um, we're doing this Bible reading together and Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. And we're reading Deuteronomy in the Bible app this past week. And these verses were in Deuteronomy just this past week. And what it does is it paints for us, even back in the Old Testament, this is the kind of people we are. We are a people who are seeking to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength or with all of our body. And, it's in a different place, but love your neighbor as yourself. When I mean, Jesus is saying, you know these verses from your Old Testament, from your scriptures, he would have said in that moment. And he says, this is, this is who you're to be, to love God increasingly with more of all of who you are, and then to love other people as well, your, your neighbor, those that are not like you, those that are different than you. Jesus, when he says, those who love me Will obey my commands. These are the commands, some of the commands that he's talking about. And Jesus is saying, when you're in relationship with me, the natural outflow of your life will look like obedience. And so when Jesus does this amazing teaching that's recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, or the greatest teaching for all of humanity, he's describing this is what a people looks like that is shaped by me, that has that vision in the right side of their brain, and it's just as automatic. When I encounter something, whether it's good or difficult, but particularly when those are challenging, difficult situations, my response is not to lose control of my tongue and say a word I don't intend to say, but my automatic response is one of kindness, or compassion, or gentleness, or truth-telling, self-control. That just naturally flows out of me. The thing about character shaping is that it doesn't happen by, by sheer willpower or information. Our character is shaped primarily through relationship, through relationship with God and relationship with those around us. And so as we look out into the future, and if we can put in the first, first blank for this this week, and again, over the next number of weeks, we'll fill in this blank in different ways. The first blank for this week would be, we are a people who love obey and imitate Jesus. That Jesus becomes our model, that that's where we pursue relationship is with Jesus. The natural outflow of that is that we will obey what he's calling us to. And we'll look more and more like him, we'll imitate him. Or follow what he says in John chapter 13, as I've washed your feet and you've seen my example, now you can go and do it, you can behave and live like me. I'm your model, I'm your example, imitate me. But this happens Again, not through willpower or discipline alone. Those are helpful things. It's not through information and learning and teaching and reading and all of that. It's primarily through the people that we open ourselves up to and find ourselves in relationship with. The people that we learn to emulate. The people that we learn to trust. The people that we learn to find intimacy with. That we're vulnerable with. Which is why, as we start this new year as a church of 2024, that being in relationship with other people who are following Jesus is vitally important. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. And we wanna have it increasingly happen through our communities. We have a number of communities right now that are, are in existence and have been in place for a while. We've got two that just started over the last like four to six weeks, and we have two more that we're hoping to start in the next four to eight weeks here in January and February. But these are vitally necessary so that we're in relationship with one another. And and not just that, but that we're in relationship with others who are very different than us, who are further down the road than us. And so one of the great benefits of being in a church that is multi-generational is that we have people that are further down the road. And so if you're on the older half and have been walking with Jesus longer, whether you think your life is all cleaned up and looks good, there are those that are coming behind you that are younger than you that would benefit just simply by rubbing shoulders. I was talking to an empty nester, a couple years ago, and I said, oh, hey, would you be interested in mentoring so-and-so? And they said, oh, my gosh, I don't know. You know how many mistakes I've, I've made? Um, I don't, you know, here, let me tell you about parenting mistakes I've made and marriage, and marriage challenges and financial decisions I've made. And I said, you're only increasing the quality of your resume the more you tell me this. There are young adults and young married people and people that are in their first career that are dying just to look at somebody. And so I, this is gonna sound a little but a little silly, but I tell tell people often, if you're in your later years, and put whatever number you want on that, if you're in your later years and you think you don't have something to offer, if you're alive, bathed and dressed, that's about it. The fact that you exist in the world today and you're bathed and dressed and getting through your day you have so much to share of life experience and lessons learned and mistakes. And if you're pursuing Jesus at that stage in your life, believe me, you have something that a young adult can glean so much from. Wisdom and lessons from failures and how you recovered and how you responded and what you wish you would have done differently. Not to mention all of you that have everything figured out in a perfect lives. That's great too. You can share that too. But when we have communities that are mixed and people have different life experiences and are at different stages, that is where God says, this is where one person can look at another person and go, I want to emulate you in this and I want to model after you in this because you've been faithful through failure, through suffering, through struggle. And so we hope that within our communities we have people that are at different life stages, that we don't just find affinity groups. But... We're working and have plans in place to to help and coach leaders and to multiply the ones that, that are currently in existence and believe that this is where God begins to form relationships that shape our character, that make us people that look more and more like Jesus and bring more of his kingdom here where we are. It does take risk. It takes intentionality and investment and planning and all of that and risk to get into relationship. But we believe this is where God forms us and transforms us. I want, to, I want to do something right now, and uh, we, we have this practice of coming to this table, uh, and uh, Jesus started this in the very conversation that we read a portion of already today in John uh, chapter 14. It's just after that that Jesus says, uh, do this in remembrance of me. Model this. Take this cup. Take this bread. And so, as we continue to worship today, I want to invite you to these tables down here in the front. And the juice represents his blood shed for us, and the little crackers represent his body broken for us. And by doing this, Jesus laid down his life to pay the the penalty and the cost and the price to break the power of sin and to invite us to receive his grace by faith and to begin that process of transformation that takes relationship first with him and then those he puts around us. And so Jesus, we come today and we ask you, First of all, we say thank you for your patience with us. We say thank you for pouring out your grace and making it available for us. And then we ask you to continue to paint a vision for us of the kind of people that you want us to be, the kind of individuals you want us to be, the kind of men and women, students, the kind of parents, the kind of church that you want to be known for being a Jesus church That looks more and more like you. That when people see us interact with us, they know that we're distinctly different. And they get a glimpse or a taste or a quick view of what the kingdom of heaven is like here on earth. And so Jesus, will you do that today? As we come to this table, would you remind us again and impress on us again? And even in in this practice, begin to shape in some small way our character, that we begin to look more like you. We love you and we need you.